Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at beersandbible underscore and on Twitter at beersandbible p1. You can also email us at beersandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts Rick and Patrick for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 53 of the Beers and Bible podcast. I'm your host Rick. And I'm your other host Patrick. And we're happy to be with you for another week of beer and theology. Yeah, we are... Tonight's going to be interesting just because of how, just the sheer, maybe not quantity, just how much of the frequently asked questions book that we're yeah. going to try to tackle yeah. tonight. But I think, we think it'll be okay. We, we think yeah. we'll, we'll be fine. All the questions that we're going to tackle, so we're going to, we're going to legit tackle, try to tackle like seven questions tonight, but all of them are really related in, in the area of apologetics. Yeah. So we're talking about existence of God, proof of God, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, it, and it's really going to kind of tail nicely from last week where we talked about the problem of evil because that's also a big kind of apologetics discussion to have. Um, so, but before we get to our, our discussion on apologetics, Patrick, what beer do we have on tap for tonight? So tonight we are, um, this is we're going to hit a new brewery up tonight. This is from the East Island Brewing Company, based in Asheville, North Carolina, and also Fort Collins, Colorado is on the can. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on with that, but we have got the Island Coastal Lager from East Island Brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a coastal style lager, and um, I mean, there's really not much more to say about it. Just it's. I mean, you go ahead, I guess. I'm a sucker for a good lager, so I'm like, I hope this is not going to let me down. I really, yeah. like, I really do. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's, the can is real nice and simple. Actually, East Island Brewing only has like two products that they make and yeah. sell. So, yeah. Um, if you do one thing, but do it well, then, then you'll be successful. So there you go. But, uh, but yeah, Island it's just called the Island Coastal Lager is actually the name of it. Mm-hmm. And there's a there was a little thing on the box, um, a little story about like, you, you know, that says you you order an ICL. It says for those in the know, you order an ICL. Mm-hmm. I apparently am not in the know because I've never heard of Island Coastal Lager and I've never ordered an ICL. So. Well, we're about to find out what it's like. So, <laughs> so the can actually says that it was created for as a craft alternative to those mass market brands. What's funny is. Where I'm at, it was only available in, like, a major grocery store. Yeah. Like, it wasn't at a little package store or whatever, so. Yeah. or a craft beer specialty store. Yeah. Like yeah, I mean, I had to go to, a gro- like, my grocery store and get it, so. <laughs> um, but I'm excited about it. Um, again, like beer, so it's. Yeah. I like their, I like the little art they have going on. 
on the can. Like it, it's plain, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of like it looks classic to me. Yeah, I guess um, it looks very much like an island. It does. It does. It's very islandy. The the fonts and all that are very islandy. So, well, we might as well crack them open and see what happens with the uh, ICL and hashtag Take It Easy. Apparently that's their hashtag, so... And we're definitely using the hashtag in the posts for this one, so... Yeah, we are. Hashtag take it easy. Here we go. Cracking them open in one, two, three, go! That's a that's a good... Oh, here we go. I totally cheated. That's okay. <laughs> it was either that or spill beer. We both know you yeah, can't have the, that. The last time... Remember the last time one popped on me like that? It was the tiny bomb and it got everywhere. So this is more of a pale lager. Okay, so um, not to not to discourage you. It doesn't smell like the lager that I enjoy. It smells like cheap beer. It does. Like for some reason, like it smells like Budweiser to me. <laughs> it's not far off of Budweiser. And, and and that's I mean I haven't had Budweiser in since we started this podcast no I've had it a couple of times but it is it has not been my go-to in over a year yeah I'll say that much yeah now what I will say about this one is um I've got a nice foamy head going on over here I think it's probably because I don't know how to pour beer but uh oh, so it's, oh, about the, oh. it's about the color of of a Budweiser or a you know a typical Big I box. guess what you would call just big box beer. You know, if this is the craft the craft beer alternative to it, then I would assume it's supposed to be the same color. Um, what if it's just like the craft beer version of a major beer? <laughs> Maybe we missed the whole point. Maybe we did. Hey, this is a craft beer version. It's basically Budweiser, but you're going to pay $3 more for a six-pack. <laughs> well... Um, uh, you turn them up? I guess so. So here we go. The ICL from East Island Brewing. Let's see how it, how it goes. Bottoms up. Yep. I know exactly where I know exactly where that's gonna land. I think I know where I'm gonna <laughs> land too. And man. I mean, am I wrong that it tastes exactly like a cheap beer? It it does. I think it's got a little bit better texture than a cheap beer. Um, but not much. Not much. Not much. Um I'll rate this because I can I can throw this one down pretty quick. This is a solid three. Like, oh, I thought you were going to go all the way down to oh, two. No, no, I'm not going to put it down there with uh, with Kalik. It's it's at least a, bit, a little bit better than that. Um, um yeah, that's mm. it's. I mean, this to me, uh, it almost tastes exactly like Coors Light to me. Is what it tastes like. See, I don't have much experience with Coors Light, so um, yeah, I I do unfortunately. Um. It's it's got the the taste of Coors Light. It's got the, I think the consistency might be a little bit different. This one seems to be a little bit lighter. It's for a lager. It's run of the mill. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy a little bit more flavor out of my lagers. Um, and so you know if if this is their 
if this is the lager, then I don't know that I would want to drink the active because I, I think that's like the light version or whatever, mm-hmm. the chick beer version. Maybe it's the equivalent to Michelob Ultra. Um, but if this is the light version or if this is the lager version, then the light version is basically water. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> this is, uh, this is not great beer. Um, I mean, I'll drink it cause I've opened yeah. it at this point. Um, I think about the only time this is going to be like really enjoyable is when you're 870 degrees after spending two or three hours in the yard and mm-hmm. you just need a cold beer. Like, I think that's the only instance when this is going to be enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm actually, I'm going to agree with you on the rank rating here. I'm going to give this one three liters as well. Um, it's just not great. Yeah. I, I said solid three. I don't know that I would, I, I'm going to change that. I don't know that I would go solid three. It's it's barely a three. Yeah, I, I, I was... I thought you would go. I thought you were going all the way down to two. <laughs> like that's how much I thought you did. You weren't when you said I've got this locked in. I was like, oh gosh, um, this is going to be bad. <laughs> I mean, well, I think what we're finding out is anything that reminds us of the big beer companies, yeah. we've realized that we really had no idea what we were doing before. <laughs> um, before we start, before we open our eyes to things like strawberry litter twenty three or yeah. um, watermelon goze, watermelon goze. I'm just looking back at some of the other ones. No crusts. Um, yeah. I mean, even the but like even the because Sierra Nevada is a is a pretty decent sized brewing company. Yeah, I guess um, that's true. But their wild little thing is really good. Mm-hmm. So I mean, still have some of those in my fridge. <laughs> Um, wow. But, but yeah, yeah I mean, this, this, is, this a, is just plain. What a letdown, man. <laughs> it, it really is because, like, like I said, I'm, I'm a fan of lagers. Yeah. I, uh, I, I feel kinda, for you. Like, I'm, I'm more of a, I kind of like them all. Like, you like them all to an extent. I kind of like yeah. all of them. Um, but for you, I, I feel like this had potential to be like a new go to lager for you. And could have been. Could've it's, been. it's just not. I think I'd rather have the old speckled hen than I would have this. Okay? Uh, I mean, like, dude, old speckled I mean, hen is like twice as good as this. It, it really well, and we rated it just about twice as good too. <laughs> oh, that's true. So, I mean, well, we rated it as high as we could go. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, that's true. Um, one day we're gonna get a beer that's so good we're gonna have to give it like six luthers. Yeah, out of five. Yeah. So, but but Ireland, hmm. I hate to do it to you. Um, I'm just I'm not impressed. Um. <laughs> I'm apparently I'm not in the know and I'm to be honest, I'm not really upset about that. Yeah, I'll say out um, of the know if that if that means I don't have to <laughs> continue to drink this one. Look, it's not bad if you're looking for like your run of the mill, very standard, very light, gonna take a lot to get you messed up beer. Yeah. This is it. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, so this I mean, like I said, it tastes like Coors Light. At that point, I would rather just buy a six-pack of Coors Light because it's cheaper. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to pay $9 or $10 for a six-pack of craft lager when I can just pay $6 and, and get, Dude, you know. we're going to get a letter from East Island Brewing and be like, they're going to be all upset because <laughs> these two guys who don't know what they're doing. I mean, we're really giving them a hard time 
This, we, this is the harshest we've been on a brewery in a since Kalik, I think, probably. Well, and and honestly, like, so I want to say that they, they, you know, maybe they have better stuff in their portfolio, but they only have two beers. Yeah, so there's, so so there's not hard on them. There's not much else in their portfolio. <laughs> Dude, I'm looking back. Did we just delete Kalik out of our thing altogether <laughs> we probably did it's not in our spreadsheet oh, no, there dude. It is. it's exit it's episode 35 okay 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 I, I was looking in the wrong spot but i was like where is it <laughs> surely we didn't just get erase it entirely just so you all know we have a list of all of the beers that we've reviewed and what we rated them. yeah so we're, so that's we're how really we keep up with all this yeah we're really just keeping track of it for our own sake we're not really we're not sure what we're going to do with this information yeah. but um look east island brewing you tried, and we 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 tried to give it a fair a fair shake, but uh, yeah, it's just not good. It's not great. It's in. It's not even in that good. Not great. It's just <laughs> like barely three is like like That's we we, nice. we are saying it reached at three. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I gave Kalik two and a half, and I will I will admit this is slightly better than Kalik. Is it possible so, you overrated Kalik though? It's entirely possible that I overrated Kalik. <laughs> I was I may have been trying to be nice. Um because if you look like if you look going into Kalik, we have I got four and a half on longboard, four and a half on Tiny Bomb, three and a half on the Suzy B, five Luthers on the toasted lager, four and a half on the robust porter from Founders, and then two and a half for Kalik. So I mean I came off this string of really good beers and I probably just out of sympathy, rated it higher than I should have. <laughs> because even even my wife drank the rest of the Calix, and she was like, yeah, it's skunk beer. That's what that's, it is. That's hilarious. <laughs> All right, well. So, sorry, Island Brewing. I hope we didn't. Uh, I'm sure you don't really care that two knuckleheads don't like your beer, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. I'll do hey, the rest of this one, and I'll, I'll probably finish my sixer. I will say this. They're... Uh, hats and t-shirts and stuff are really cool. There you go. If their beer wasn't terrible, I would consider <laughs> getting some of their swag, but alas, will not be the case. So that's not it's not gonna happen. Uh, like I even came prepared tonight. I brought two in here thinking this was gonna be a good one. Well, you're gonna have to go back and get something else, I think. <laughs> so, all right. Well, now we've Anywho. reviewed we've reviewed the beer, and now we are going to. Um, dive into our discussion uh, in the book 77 frequently asked questions about God and uh, we're going to tackle the really tackle the subject of apologetics tonight so buckle up And we're back. We've uh, downed our below-average beer. Rick is actually working on his second one. <laughs> I'm just gonna get. I'm gonna drink all six of these just to get them over with. <laughs> he he might he might be done with his second one by now. I don't know. Um, he's getting halfway close. There. So it's halfway there. So um, tonight there are several questions in this book that we're gonna kind of tackle. Um, not by like, not with any like, not. Not not with any, but 
It's going to be a three-hour podcast, so well, your seatbelt. No, we're going to – no. <laughs> Believe me, you do not want that. At some point, at some point, I would just get up and let you just keep talking and be like, I'll see you when you're done, I guess. Um, no, so uh, we're going to tackle um, a lot of discussions in regards to apologetics tonight. Um, things like um, does believing in God, doesn't that require faith? To how do we prove the existence of God? What's the um, logical arguments for God's existence? Um and that kind of thing. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and be upfront on this. Rick is probably going to talk a lot more than Patrick tonight because he <laughs> went to school. Did you go to school specifically for apologetics? Yes, I have a degree in apologetics. So he is much more of the expert on this. Um, I will offer input when asked, but this might be a good opportunity for Rick just to kind of... <laughs> To roll with it. So, um, and, and here's the thing, like, not to oversimplify anything, but to me, there, there are easy, simple ways to answer these questions. But it is important for us as believers to be able to defend our stances on things like, doesn't believing in God require faith? How do you prove the existence of God and that kind of thing? Yeah, so the beauty of apologetics um for me is it, it enables me as a theologian, as somebody who has practiced apologetics, it enables me to ask questions of people. Um, and, and Patrick can probably attest to this, that, you know, he'll come in with this question or, or whatever, and we'll be discussing something. And then I'll ask a question back to, and, and it's, I don't really answer his question, but I ask a question back and he's like, but why, why do you do that? And, and to me, like, that's what apologetics is. It's a, it's a lot of, let me ask you this, and then yeah. you ask the, you as the other person will propose a question that makes the other person think about their stance in a different way. Yeah. Or try, you know, a lot of apologetics, at least in my, is not just how do we defend our stance but how do we challenge other people who don't agree with us exactly to also uh, like to also be able to defend their stance exactly and and you will find <clears throat> the majority of the time apologetics is not about having multitudes of facts and and you know these this just wealth of knowledge at your disposal as much as it is about thinking critically about what someone else has said and then challenging them on what they say. Yeah. You know, I, I remember uh, a long time ago, it was actually when I was in school, um, I met uh, a guy and listened to a guy uh, named Gregory Kokel, and he has a book called Tactics, and I would recommend that book. Go to Amazon, purchase it, purchase the audiobook, listen to it, whatever it is, it's called Tactics. And and he he lays out in this in this book called Tactics, this kind of apologetic method where you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be a hundred percent well-versed in church history and theology and doctrine and, and all of this, all you have to do is listen to what people say, because the majority of the time people will put themselves in their own traps. And if you listen to what they say, you can challenge them and you don't have to make a statement at all. Mm, yeah, 
I mean, it's a lot like any other discussion that, especially in 21st century United States, what's going on right now. Yeah. Like, it's not so much about attacking another person and, like, not as a believer that I'm not saying that you should ever be attacking someone else for their beliefs because yeah. that kind of defeats the purpose of yeah. freedom, freedom of religion. Things. Freedom of religion and all. So, but... um. But a lot of times when people have questions, they, they of course, want you to answer them. But they want, I, I would think that people also want to feel like you're also genuinely interested in what they believe or in what yes. they uh, perceive to be truth. Yes. And, and the funny thing about asking questions is it gives you an opportunity to say, let me make sure I'm understanding you right. Mm-hmm. Is this what you're saying? And then you and then you lay out their argument for them. And and what it requires of you as a as a person, and as a Christian, and as a you know thinking theologically, it requires you to listen to them. And and I think I mean really for the last probably three or four weeks on this podcast, we've talked about engaging people in love, engaging people in truth and honesty. And that's that to me is really what apologetics does when done rightly. Now, I'm going to throw this out there. There's a lot of people who do apologetics wrongly. Mm. I don't know if that's a word or not, but they, they do it wrong. They're not doing true apologetics. Exactly. Because they're just like, they're just throwing out facts. They're like, well, you're wrong because of this and you're wrong because of that. And, you're, and, and while that may be factually true, it doesn't represent the gospel well. And so, you know, what I have found in, in things that something that we have said repeatedly on this podcast is, you know, when you respond to people, don't respond with a knee jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. Don't respond with a, well, you can believe that, but you're stupid because of these reasons. <clears throat> and because that doesn't do anybody any good. Right. And so if you respond with a, hey, I listened to your argument and I understood your argument but I want to take the time to make sure, number one, I did understand you correctly. And then I want to challenge you on a couple of things that you said. Because I want to understand. When you go at that perspective, people are much more willing to listen and engage with you. Um, because they see you as somebody who's willing to have a conversation, not a Christian who just wants to talk down to them and, mm-hmm. and put them down and... and call them stupid and all this kind of, you know, whatever, whatever we get labeled. You know, I, I think I said a couple of weeks ago that if you respond to people with vitriol and hatred and then get upset when they call you a bigot, you know, you basically don't have a leg to stand on because that's what you are. That's what bigots are. They're full of hatred. They're full of resentment. And, and the same thing applies here. People have to know us by our love. People have to understand us by the words that we say and the rhetoric that we use. You know, that's why the the reformers were so successful because they didn't yell and scream at everybody. They they persuaded people. They made arguments. They said, no, this is what Scripture teaches. And they made legitimate arguments based in the Scripture alone. And, And that, in turn led people to to embrace the Protestant Reformation, more and more people to embrace the Protestant Reformation. So you end up, you know, you have Martin Luther kind of at his, at his stand, at what they call the Diet of, of Worms, the Diet of Worms, I think is how you say it in German. 
um, where he says, here I stand unless I'm uh, uh, convinced by sound reason and scripture, mm-hmm. I can't do any uh, anything else. My conscience is held bound by scripture. And so, you know, when we take a stand like that, <clears throat> people tend to understand us and understand our position better. And they feel like they have been listened to. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it, that kind of lays a foundation for apologetics. Yeah. And honestly, you know, we as believers, we you know, as believers in Jesus, we we can say that we know we are right. Like, like we can say that with confidence, but we can't live as if everyone else that we are going to encounter believes that. Yeah. The, the questions in the book, I'm just going to read the questions that we've kind of, we're, we're going to dance around. We're not really going to go into anything specific, but we're just going to kind of dance around these tonight. The questions in the book that we're dancing around is, uh, doesn't believing in God require faith? Is it wrong to have doubts about God? What kind of proofs are there that God exists? What is the first cause argument? What is the design argument? What is the moral law argument? What is the personal experience argument? And if God caused everything, then who or what caused God? So all of these questions really center around the practice and the idea of apologetics. Mm -hmm. And so instead of just trying to tackle one of these, I was like, let's just kind of group them all together and talk about, because honestly, a lot of these build on other questions. Right. When you talk about the intelligent design argument or the design argument uh, for God's existence, you're really kind of building that on the first cause argument. Um, and when, and, and in the world of apologetics, we have uh, really fancy names for these, these questions. And we have really fancy names for, for what these are. You have um, the design argument is, is the teleological argument and, and uh, you know, the first cause argument is, is the origins argument. And, and you have this, this, philosophical approach mm-hmm. i guess is is the best way to put it because it, it really is philosophy you're, yeah. you're kind of combining philosophy and theology all together yeah it, um i mean to me it just looks like you're using or we would be using logic like things you would learn in logic mm-hmm. like logical um truths or equations to support the existence of God or to explain where God came from or, 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 yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. like for example, um, the first cause argument of God, um, has three premises. The first being whatever begins to exist has a cause. The second is the universe began to exist. And the third, therefore the universe has a cause. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's really this, it all, and I think, I feel like all of these arguments for God's existence have these, uh, logical premises where, you know, X and X happens. I'm, I'm having a hard time describing <laughs> it because I'm not a scholar. Like, I don't know how to, so, like, I, I'm like, somewhat yeah, educated you, so I'm trying to what you have is what's called a logical argument or a philosophical argument and and it's in a philosophical or a logical argument you say um you know premise 1 premise 2 conclusion and so um uh, in the in the 
first cause argument, you would say whatever begins, uh, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Okay, so you're in that in that statement, you're saying anything that has had to come into existence had to have something that brought it into existence. Okay, and then you would say uh, the universe began to exist, as in the universe is not eternal. And it has a starting point. Therefore, the universe has a cause. And so the the underlying or the, the kind of foundational part of that says, okay, if you get to the point where you get people to agree the universe has a cause, then you can ask, what is that cause? Um, and if you're if you're a evolutionary person, you say that cause is the Big Bang. And and this and this gets into where you kind of approach all of these different arguments from a from a logical standpoint and start to follow arguments as they go. So an evolutionist would say, well, the first cause is the Big Bang. Okay. Um, the next logical question, what caused the Big Bang? Well, there mm -hmm. was two atoms, and they were there, and, and they combined and exploded, and everything formed. Okay. Where, where did those first two atoms come from? What's the first cause of those first two atoms? And you, you trace it back in, and it you're work, becomes You're working this, the logic backwards. Yes, exactly. You're working the logic backwards. And so within the Christian worldview, we say that the first cause is God. God is eternal. There is nothing before God. And so God is the first cause. And, and the problem with evolution or with scientific theory is there always has to be, there can never be a first thing, you know, they can say, oh, well, the, the universe existed in totality eternally. Okay. Well, science, science has proven, that, proven that's not true. Mm -hmm. we, can, we can age. We can date range the, the universe. We may disagree about the date range. You know, young earth uh, creationists think the universe is six to 10,000 years old. Old earth creationists think the, the earth might, or the universe might be one to two billion years old. You know, evolutionists think that the um, universe is billions and billions of years old. But the common factor between all of those is it dates a rain, which means it, if, if there was a point where it did not exist and then it came into existence, it is not eternal. Mm -hmm. And so that's where Christianity stands apart and says, no, there is a first cause. There is the very first thing. That first thing is God. That's what we call that first thing. And so, so you take a philosophical approach with the, the idea or the, the kind of premise behind it to point people to the gospel. Um, the, the, if you've ever been to an apologetic conference or you've ever been to an apologetic study, I guarantee you they have quoted at some point 1 Peter 3.15. Um, you know, you have to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. And, and. All if, you can't call yourself an apologist if you haven't memorized First Peter three fifteen. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but but when put in the larger context of that verse, yes, it's about apologetics, but it's more about the hope that is within you than it is about defending. And so, you are defending, yes, but you are defending the hope that is within you, and that's that to me is the point of apologetics. We have to be consistently pointing people back to the gospel and if we're not we're wasting our time doing apologetics and, and i mean we're all, we're kind of not even really doing apologetics at that point 
No, you're we're, just arguing with me. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, there's plenty of that already going around. I mean, believe or don't be caving to the to the uh, what's normal now, and people are just arguing for the sake of arguing. Yeah. Exactly. Side note, but let's get back to what we're talking about. Exactly. Um. So you know, I'm I want to talk about a couple of things that that these guys bring out. Um. One, one, we've already kind of mentioned the teleological argument, which is, which is kind of the foundational design argument. Um, that really, to me, that argument builds on the first cause because the, the teleological argument says, you know, there's intelligent design in the, in the world. The world is moving from chaos to order. And so you have, you have this argument of from chaos to order. That's where we're going. Mm-hmm. Um, everything points to you have a source. And to me, that's just kind of a, I guess it's a more robust version of the first cause argument. Um, but, but one of the things that I like to talk about when I, when I, especially when I engage with atheists, um, or when I talk to an atheist, is the moral law argument or the morality argument. Mm-hmm. Um, something that they hit in here is is talking about this morality argument, and I believe that the Christian worldview gives us the most robust answer to morality as opposed to any other worldview out there. Um, because any other worldview has to be bound in something that is either uh, not eternal and changing, or it has to be bound in something that, that is fixed that we don't like, you know, whatever it is, eventually you end up crossing paths with it and you go, I don't like that anymore. And I think part of, part of what we're getting, getting into now, we can see it in our culture today is relativism. So the moral argument says that God is the ultimate source of moral authority Therefore, he defines what is good and right and what is wrong. And that is our standard by which we judge, you know, killing people is wrong. Um, you know, uh, stealing from your neighbors is wrong. That's, that's how we get to that. Now, we, we see that kind of fleshed out in the Ten Commandments, and, and, and we can talk about that. But, but when you get back to the ultimate source, and, and I kind of want to keep this broad to get back to the ultimate source, we're saying morality comes from God. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so when when we make a morality argument, we're basing our morality in God. Somebody who is atheistic or agnostic, or or whatever their position apart from God says, and, and I always ask them the question, "What do you base your morality in?" And and they always say, "Well, you know, uh, I, I base it in the in that man is basically good," and so. I, I can turn it on and I go, okay, so you mean good like Adolf Hitler? Mm-hmm. Well, no, 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 he was bad. Oh, okay, so you mean good like Mao Zedong? No, 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 he was bad. Okay, you mean good like Stalin or Marx or name countless amounts of people who have who have tried to lord over people. Time and time again, history has revealed to us that man is that intrinsically not good. Man is intrinsically not good. And so you can't base a morality argument in something that is intrinsically not good. And I think that history provides adequate examples to say that man is not good. And, and so when you take that approach, you can, you can really turn the tables on them and say, and, and again, 
We're not turning the tables to be like, ha, I got you. You're, you know, we're trying to engage these people to bring them to the gospel. That's the point of apologetics. Yeah. And I can't, I can't say that enough. Yeah. It's, so I'm going to keep repeating it. Yeah. It's more about getting their wheels turning to see like, you know, we do hold the, the real truth. We, we hold the truth and we believe that we hold it. Yeah. And that's why we are so passionate about engaging with people who don't hold the truth. Exactly. And when we're sharing that truth with them, it's, it's not about like, like you said, it's not like about catching them in a trap mm. of their own logic or their own doing. It's about opening their eyes to see their need for Jesus. Yeah. And that should really be the ultimate goal of any discussion in apologetics that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're not pointing somebody back to the reality of Jesus and the depravity of your own soul, then, then to me, you're not doing apologetics right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I can talk about the different approaches to apologetics, whether you take a presuppositional approach or a classical approach or an evidential approach, or, I mean, there's this litter. I mean, this could go on for hours and hours, but we're not going to dive into all that. But if, no matter what approach you use, if you were not pointing people back to the reality of Christ, the reality that he came, uh, God in flesh took, or God took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and bore your sins uh, in his death on the cross, then, then you're not doing apologetics right. And so, you know, I, I think about just a, a, somebody sent me an email this week um, about a discussion they were having with a, with an atheist, and they were they were telling me some of the questions that this atheist had, and, mm-hmm. and so I just you know I just read through the questions and I said these are all really good questions you know and and he's asking questions like um, you know how do we know God exists how do we know Jesus exists how can we trust the Bible all of these questions that are that are formed out of these these questions that we're looking at tonight you know what is the moral law what is the first cause? Is it wrong to have doubts about God? He's having doubts and he's having these discussions and he's trying to think it through. And and so I just went through and I, I typed out little just short answers that I that I hoped would would help this person engage in conversation. And and you know, the response that he gave back to me was, Man, I really appreciate how you try to turn everything back to the reality of Jesus and the reality mm-hmm. that Jesus died on the cross. And I, you know, I, I told this guy, I was like, you know, this is great. And, and us having this discussion is great. But if we don't point this guy to Christ, then, then what we're doing is useless. We're just arguing idiots at that point. Right. You know, we're an idiot. He's an idiot. And we're just arguing idiots. And so we have to try to, to turn, uh, their questions and say, you know, I hear your question, understand your question, understand what you're trying to do, but have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And sometimes that involves bringing in evidence. Sometimes that involves saying, you know, when somebody doubts the authority of scripture, you bring up the fact that man, scripture historically is the most attested writings of all of history. We have more copies of scripture than we do of Shakespeare. Right. And, and, you know, it, it, when you say things like that, it helps people think, oh man, Shakespeare is incredibly popular. How do we have more copies of scripture? We can attest for 99.9% of the new Testament and its accuracy. 
And so it's not like, you know, you got guys like Bart Ehrman who, who say that, you know, there's some 300 or 400,000 mistakes in the New Testament. Well, maybe there are three or 400,000, but what Bart Ehrman doesn't tell you is that 90%, 95% of those mistakes are a missing comma or a misspelled word or, or something of that nature where the, the subject or there's no doubt about what the author was intending. It's just he misspelled the word sale. He spelled it S-E-L-L when he meant to spell it S-A-I-L. And, and so it's, it's uh, you know, that's, that's an English non-equivalent that, that doesn't really, it just kind of helps you understand. Um, they, they know what the author intended. Mm-hmm. And so there's no point in trying to say, oh, you can't trust it because they misspelled a word. If we did that to everybody, we probably wouldn't trust anybody. Yeah. You know? So, so it, com- it comes down to what are we doing to point people back to Christ? Right. With these arguments, with the ideas of, of uh, you know, what what about the moral law? When we when we take uh, an intelligent design argument to somebody and we say, man, look at the earth and look at how if this were different than that were, and and I'm about to go straight up heresy, and and you're going to be like, I can't believe you just said that. Um, but there was a guy who at one point put out a, a thing called everything is spiritual and the guy's name was rob bell um and rob bell i i believe in his current state is falling into heresy he's he's preaching something other than the gospel um but this video talks about it really takes a a a cosmological what's called the cosmological argument and and focuses on you know if the earth were one mile further away from the sun we would freeze if it were one mile closer to the sun, we would burn up. Um, if it weren't tilted on a, I think it's like a 28.6 degree axis, then we wouldn't have four seasons. If and, and all of these minute details that we don't even think about. And and then you talk about the, the fact that you think that a combination of two atoms exploding created all of the things that it takes for the earth to be exactly like it is and for us to, to be, to be able to inhabit the earth with life is all some type of, uh, you know, cosmic accident. Yeah. yeah, I've I've heard it said that you have to have more faith to believe that evolution resulted in our current state than to believe that God just said it, like God just created it that way. Yeah. Yeah. God designed it to be that way. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, I think it's Norman Geisler who always, he kind of has the catchphrase. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> um, and, and, and to, to a point he's exactly right because, you know, and, and something that whenever somebody brings up the idea of evolution to me, I always ask them, you know, well, because they always point to, you know, I want to see objective. This has happened. Show me objectively how God exists. And I said, show me objectively how evolution happens. Mm-hmm. And and they say, well, we have this fossil record and that fossil record. And I'm like, okay, what you've told me is that you have multiple fossil records that show this type of person and that type of person, but there's no link between them. You're saying that evolution is the link. Show me objectively that that has happened. Right. And you can't do it because it doesn't exist. Nobody can say 
evolution happens on a macro level. Right. And, and, and I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but I know where I stand on this. I do believe that at the micro, like there are micro evolutions within species. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, even, even in, in the human species, if you look at it, like skin tones and all that stuff has mm-hmm. adapted over time based on where people live. Yeah. And so like, we're not, I'm not sitting here like, Oh, evolution is, there's no such thing as it as evolution at all. We're just saying that like a single cell millions of years ago did not result in the vast, uh, variety of living things that we have today. Yeah. Never once, to my knowledge, never once has it been recorded that a monkey became a person. Never once has it historically, scientifically been shown objectively that a, uh, you know, a fish has crawled out of the ocean and become something. Now, they have a lot of theory that that's what happened, Mm -hmm. but they don't have any objective scientifically verified evidence that that happens. So, you know, the atheist objection that, well, you believe in God without seeing anything. Well, atheist, you also believe things without seeing an mm-hmm. example of it. So, you know, I, I'm just going to hand you a little dose of your own medicine right back to you and say, if you want me to prove it, then I want you to prove it as well. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, and that's, the foundation behind all of these apologetic questions that we, that we look at tonight, you know, all these questions about having doubts on God, uh, doubts about God. And, you know, is it okay to doubt God? I don't have any issue with somebody doubting God. No, God he, doesn't have an issue with him, with you doubting him. Yeah. I mean, was it Peter doubted or no? Yeah, Peter did. Peter doubted. So, and he literally walked with Jesus. So, I mean, he saw the miracles of Jesus up close. He was a disciple. Yeah. So, I mean, in really God's not surprised when we're in a season of doubt. No. And, and, you know, that, that's the other thing that God cares. So like he cares so passionately, passionately about the minute details that, when you're going through a season of, doubt, season of doubting him, he's aware of it and he cares and he's there with you. But he's also like, it's okay. Like he's, yeah. he, it doesn't make you less, less of a believer, less of a Christian because you're doubting God or doubting Jesus. God doesn't have an issue with you doubting him, you know, but, but, I would also say that if you're going to doubt, then you have to be honest with yourself and you have to say, I'm going to find a solution. I'm going to find an answer to this doubt. You know, typically when we doubt something, we search it out. We seek it out. Yeah. You know, find out if that doubt is warranted or not. And so when, when we have those doubts, when you have those doubts, when you have those questions, I would encourage you turn to scripture. Yeah. You know, scripture gives you the answer. If, if you having, if you're having questions about physics, you, you go to a physics book. If you're having questions about music, you consult music books. You know, if you're having doubts about God, consult the Bible. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, first Peter kind of 
kind of tells us to to do that. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Yeah, like so that's even in Scripture. To yeah, <laughs> turn to God, which part of that is 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 Bible and 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 finding out more about it. So, yeah. um, yeah, you know, and and kind of one thing that I I want to tag on to this is it's kind of like an appendix to apologetics, I guess, but something that's going to continue to challenge apologetics in the future is this, this idea of relativism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they kind of hit it, hit on it in, in the question. Uh, I think it's question number eight that they have here. Um, I, I wrote a little note in question number eight. What is the moral law argument when you're talking about the moral law? And we talked about objective morality versus subjective morality. Um, and so on this one, the guys put, put forth this kind of philosophical argument. It says, if objective morality, moral values exist, God must exist. Objective moral values exist, therefore God must exist. And so the, the argument says that because we have some type of objective truth, some truth that we can mm-hmm. say, yes, this is right, this is wrong, the basis for that objectivity is God. And so his existence is a prerequisite for uh, objective moral values. Um, and I, I said, I kind of put a little note that, that this is being challenged today and said, nothing is left when you destroy objectivity. And, and, you know, I find it today and, and it's, it's funny to me a little bit, but it's also very, very saddening because I see, you know, uh, and I'm going to use the example of, of, of gay rights or homosexual rights in America that has really and truly kind of sprang up in the last seven to 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you would have asked somebody in the mid nineties, what gay rights were, they would have been like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, and, and even you can mark the change from Barack Obama in 2008 to Barack Obama in 2015, where he did not support gay rights in 2008. And, and he did absolutely support them in 2015 because it was politically expedient for him to do that. Right. And so, so, but what has happened with the, the gay rights argument, and this was the argument that a lot of conservatives made and people uh, laughed at them. You know, they said, well, if we do this, where's the next end? Where, you know, where does it stop? You know, are we going to go into uh, polyamorous relationships? Are we going to go into pedophilic relationships? Are we going to go into, um, you know, when you talk about polyamorous relationships, you're really talking about polygamy or polygamous relationships. And you have to remember historically, Utah was not allowed into the union until they cut polygamy out of their state constitution Hmm. Um, because the, the Mormons in, in the state of Utah, it was a Mormon belief. And in order to get accepted into the union, into the United States, they had to cut out polygamy from their belief system Mm -hmm. Um, because it was just, it was not an accepted practice. It, It was believed to go against the, the union of one man and one woman in a monogamous relationship until death do you part, you know, and that was the institution of marriage. And and so when we, when we devalued marriage by, by saying, you know, we have to allow this, we have to allow this. And, and no matter where you stand on that debate, I'm not talking about that debate tonight, but I'm talking about the ramifications of that debate. Now we have before us the argumentation that 
um, you know, transgender people should be able to compete in athletic events according to the their identified gender, not their biological gender. Mm-hmm. And and this has led to even um, sports uh, people like Martina Navratilova uh, and other major sports figures who have said, no, 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 this is not fair. Mm-hmm. Now we have biological men competing against biological women claiming to be women. Everybody's claiming to be women. She's like, this is not fair. A man has a biological advantage. And it's like it was written in Genesis 127 that God created them male and female. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, but because we've relativized, we we just can't seem to get back to that idea that God created them male and female. And each one has their own biological distinctive, and each one of them has their own biological uh, purpose. And and when you relativize everything, you erase the objectivity that has been created with biological male and biological female. And so now with transgenderism, and, and then now there's there's a movement to include polyamorous and polygamous relationships within the marriage. And now the... the, the um, the lesbian and gay communities going, whoa, 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 this is not what we signed up for. And, and all of the conservatives are sitting back there going, we told you it was going to happen. You know, Mm -hmm. now your institution, what you fought for is being challenged and somebody else wants what you have and you don't want to give it up. Yeah. So, so now you understand why, why we said what we said. And if they're being intellectually honest, that's what they do. That's what they, they admit to. But, you know, again, in the face of the relativistic and the relativization of the moral revolution that we're facing today, most people just kind of admit it and move on, you know, and, and this has happened in more than just gay rights. This has happened in the abortion debate. This has happened in, um, you know, uh, racial debates. This has happened in a lot of the stuff that we've talked about where you've relativized everything, um, to a point where nothing matters, because you can't, you don't have any type of objective thing to hold on to. Yeah. You know, it's like trying to nail jello to a wall. Yeah. There's not a strong foundation for any argument because the foundation has been taken away from what was so strong for so long. Exactly. Exactly. And it, and it's not about being prudes and it's not about, uh, you know, trying to, to hold people back. It's more about trying to conserve an objective reality to things. Mm-hmm. So, but that's just a little tag on there to, to apologize. Anything else you want to, you want to add on to or any more questions you might have? Um, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I really, I could talk about this all night long, but I you could. <laughs> because I have, I have, I have read, uh, fairly extensively in this area and it's, it's an area that I enjoy, uh, reading about. And so, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where again, and, and, and we'll go back to it as kind of the, the lampooning call for, for our podcast the last few weeks is engage people, but engage them with love, mm-hmm. you know, engage them with compassion. If you're going to undertake apologetics, be ready. You know, be ready for people to disagree with you and be ready to be okay with people disagreeing with you. You know, the point of apologetics is not to win arguments. The point of apologetics is to point people to Christ. Mm-hmm. So, Patrick, if people wanted to get a hold of us on social media, 
where would they do that? We are on Instagram. Search us there at beers and Bible underscore. We are on Twitter at beers and Bible P1. You can search us for us on Facebook. Um, just search Beers and Bible Podcast and look for our logo. And then you can also email us um, over at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. Um, we would love to hear from you. Uh, discuss anything that we've talked about the last few weeks or that you'd like for us to talk about in a future episode or if you have a beer suggestion you'd like for us to try. Um, and we, can, we can try to track it down and and review it here on the podcast where um, I'm surprised we've, so it's been several months since uh, Rick moved and we were doing pretty good about getting the same beer. <laughs> so um, it's been a while since we've done a split, um, yeah. a split episode. So we're, uh, we're getting pretty lucky right now. So I have a feeling that's going to end at some point, but yeah, um, it probably is. But anyway, um, so until next time, enjoy. I mean, if you like a mediocre lager, go get the Island Coastal Lager. <laughs> if not, get you something else. Um, have Just a, buy Yingling or Coors Light and be happy. Yeah, I mean, really, Yingling would have been... We should have done Yingling. Um, <laughs> but until next week, have, a, have some good beer and good conversation, and we will talk to you later. Peace out. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. 